Amen. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, and when he went and sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went on to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, if, the, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. This is not the first time that Jesus would use a boat, the sea, the wind, the elements, to speak to his followers, to test their faith, or to display his infinite, almighty power. Previously in the same gospel, Matthew records another occasion in Matthew chapter 8, if you turn there, verse 23, it says that when he was entered into a ship, 8 and 23, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Now there's just two differences. In this one, Jesus was in the boat. And the one that we read previously, Jesus was not in the boat. His disciples, after this great tempest arose, his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the man marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, in this story that is told in Matthew chapter 8, with Christ in the boat, the safest place in the world that these men could be was in that boat. Despite the storms, despite the wind, despite everything that was happening, the waves and the water that was coming in, the safest place to be is in the boat with Jesus. Andy and Ruth sing the Lighthouse Club 
song, isn't it? With Christ in the vessel, what can you do? Smile at the storm. If you've got Christ in your life, if you've got Jesus in your life, the storms will come. The winds will blow. The waves will come. But with Christ in the vessel, praise God, you're safe and you can smile at the storm. You see, in these accounts, actual accounts, truthful accounts, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, we see something of how the providential hand of God works. That means that God's in control tonight. That God's working everything out and all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Even at the minute, if it doesn't look that way, God's in control. Would you say amen if you believe that? If you have Christ in your heart. God will use circumstances. And listen, this is important for all of us. But God will use circumstances that you go through in life to speak to us, to reveal himself to us, to cause us to turn to him and to call out to him, just like Peter, Lord, save me. And as soon as we cry, what does he do? He answers. You look at characters over the Old Testament, men that you would probably, if you met them, when they were in a state of going one way, you and I, if we met them in the street today, would probably think into ourselves, because man looks on the outward, that these people would never be the material that God is going to use to do great and mighty things for his name. But yet he does. For example, we look at Jonah, the rebellious prophet. Think about it for a moment. Jonah would we go into a boat. You know, in Jonah chapter 1, this is what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah unto the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God speaks to a man. God instructs a man. God has a commission for a man. God calls a man. Like God's desire is to call every person, young and old, in this room. God awakens Jonah to his purpose. Now, what did Jonah do? This is what it says. But Jonah rose up to flee on the Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went the opposite way. So many of us are like Jonah, aren't we? God speaks to us. God instructs us. God tells us what he wants us to do. And what do we do? We do the opposite to what God wants. And so Jonah goes the opposite way. He flees. But now here we see the influence and the circumstances that God creates in a life to bring a man back to where God wants him. It tells us in verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1, the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. Here we see it again. The wind, the waves, the circumstances of our lives. The Lord sent out a great wind in the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship, Jonah's going the wrong way. Joe was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And now God's created a storm. He creates the winds. He creates the waves in order to get the attention of Jonah. And Jonah's little boat's about to break up. Have you ever been in a position where it feels that your boat's about to break up. God has created the circumstances. 
God's speaking through the wind. God's speaking through the storm. God's speaking through the waves. God's speaking through the shipwreck. God's in control of everything. What manner of man is this? He controls the elements. And God's trying to get the attention of Jonah. And so, of course, Jonah, like most of us, is filled with rebellion and hardness in his heart against the purpose of God. Now that wasn't enough just that the winds would come and the waves would come and the ship would be broken up. But now Jonah finds himself cast over the edge and he's swallowed by a wheel. And then we heard the story and we heard the song and we sang it often in Sunday school. Now listen to the tale of Jonah and the wheel. Now he finds himself in his rebellion running from God in the fish's belly and he describes this place like it was hell. Could I tell you something, brothers and sisters? This is a reality. There's many people that are in this world today and they're living a life and the word that they would describe their life as is it's like a living hell. It's true, isn't it? And out of this place, in Jonah chapter 2, it says, Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And cried by the reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And this is wonderful. And the Lord heard me. Right out of the depths of hell he cried. Listen. And the Lord. He hears the cry. From a place that men would say it's like hell. The Lord not only heard him. But the Lord delivered him. And the fish vomited Jonah up. On the dry land. Now listen, this is the good news. Well, God must be finished with Jonah. God's not finished with Jonah at all. Jonah chapter 3, it says this. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Listen, a second time. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? He didn't deserve a second chance. But I want to tell you, God's the God of the second chance. And God's the God of the third chance. And God's the God of the fourth chance. And so on, because God's full of mercy. And so God speaks to Jonah the second time and says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach. Would you believe this? If you'd have met Jonah at Joppa when he's about to get on the boat and he's about to run the opposite way from the presence of the Lord, if you'd have met him and you're getting on the boat with him, do you think that this would have been the great revivalist that God would use? A man that's running from God and rebelling from God. And this was the great revivalist that would bring revival to Nineveh. And so God speaks to the man, brings him back, sends him and equips him. Let me tell you, there's no write-offs with God. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. The world might say there's no hope. But let me tell you something tonight. Man had said that about me. But thank God tonight there's hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. When there's true repentance... When there's a true turning from our own ways and our own sin and our own wickedness and a true turning unto God, let me tell you, there's mercy with God. There's mercy with God. And here's a man that experienced the winds and the waves and the shipwreck and being cast into the sea and in his rebellion. But out of all of that, God raises him up to be the great revivalist that brought revival to Nineveh. Isn't that amazing? But if you'd have met him, if we had met him in the street, would you have recognized Jonah as God's great revivalist? What about another man? This is 
This is speaking of how God deals with us. A believer, Jonah, was the chastisement of God. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chast- That's a sign of God's love. Not only does he chastise us, but sometimes as believers, he'll try us. We go through the trials. It's important that we do. Let's think of Joseph. The circumstances in his life God would use to refine us. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 and 7 that the trial of our faith, being more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found on the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. In all honesty, the account of Joseph. When those Ishmaelites come riding along in their camels and they see a pit and they look down into a pit and there's a young 17-year-old called Joseph, do you think any one of those Ishmaelites thought that that was the future prime minister of Egypt? Honestly, do you think that? They're looking down at a boy lying at the bottom of a pit, betrayed, rejected by his own brethren. They look down and say, well, we've got someone we can sell down in Egypt. But do you think they thought they were looking at the future prime minister? Not in your life. Do you think that when Potiphar went down to the slave market on the Saturday morning and all the slaves were standing in their chains and and everything else and they were standing there and Potiphar was walking along trying to buy himself a new slave for his house and there he comes along, the young boy called Joseph, and he looked at Joseph and said, boy, he looks strong, he looks clean, I'll purchase him. But do you think that he thought for a moment that he was buying the prime minister of Egypt? No chance. Do you think when Joseph was cast into the prison and the old jailer was there with the keys rattling and didn't hold of Joseph, throwing him into the prison, locking the door, and looking through the wee hole and looking in at the prisoner lying in the, in the corner far from home, far from his, his family, far from God. And there he's sitting in the corner and the prison officer looking in and closing the wee flap that he was closing the flap on the prime minister of Egypt. He didn't believe it for a second. What was God doing? God was doing a work in the life of a young boy called Joseph. Can I tell you something tonight? It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he can do for you. Listen tonight, you may be shocked or not with this, but let me tell you something. Sitting in our midst tonight, there could be a young boy that could be the future first minister of Northern Ireland. Really? There could be a future missionary sitting in our midst. There could be a future revivalist sitting in our midst. There could be a future Sunday school teacher sitting among us tonight. There could be a future pastor and evangelist in our midst tonight. There could be a future king in our midst tonight. Who knows? But you see, God's working in a life. Circumstances, trials beginning to try the life, the process. And as we yield to him, Psalm 105 says, verse 17, he sent before them a man, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came and the word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of his people, and let him free. 
and made him Lord of his house and ruler of his substance. What an amazing God. A life lived for Jesus. A life lived for God. Listen tonight, friends. There might be all the trappings of the world. There might be all the gadgets. There might be all the things that this world would try to present to us. But let me tell you, there's no life to live but the life for Jesus. We see God would chastise. God would, would also try. But sometimes, sometimes, and this is important, God would bring judgment. Not the final judgment which is set, but God would bring judgment upon a life or bring judgment upon a nation. This is displayed and there for us to look on in the nation of Israel. A nation whom God loves, a nation whom God birthed, a nation whom God delivered, a nation whom God provided for. But this was also a nation that rebelled and sinned and turned to other gods and God would bring judgment upon it. You see, listen very carefully. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, it says these words. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Let me tell you something. We quote it often. We talk about it often. We, we said often in our house, you don't reap the same day that you sow. You don't reap the same day you sow, but you will reap. You see, you might sow and sow and there's no results, but eventually you're going to reap. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. For he that soweth to the flesh shall reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap, shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God's desire and the reason that Jesus came into the world was not to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved. That's the heart of God. You want to know the heart of God? You just look at Matthew 23, 37. And there you see this verse. And there you see this Christ. And there you see God himself. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets. Stone them that I sent to thee. How often I wanted to gather you. Thy children, even as a hen would gather her little chicks under her wings. But you wouldn't come. The mercy of God, you wouldn't come. So judgment would fall upon Israel. Circumstances were created. Prophets were sent. Messengers were came. But they stoned them. They rejected him. You know, you're sitting here tonight. You think, well, what's that got to do with me? If you're not saved, you're in this room. Hear me tonight. Listen very carefully. This has nothing to do with this preacher, but the Spirit of God's in this room tonight. And God's here with open arms to draw you to himself. And what will you do? Will you be like Israel? Will you reject them? Will you cast your words? Will you turn your heart? Will you turn your back? Will you run? 
Will you turn away and God who gave his son on the cross to die for you because he loves you and he's a plan for your life is wooing you to come and to repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus? What will you do? Will you be just like Israel? What I'm saying is this. God uses elements. God uses circumstances. God was using the elements to speak to the occupants of the boat. He was trying to speak into their lives because of what was happening around them. But until you're ready to acknowledge that, I want to tell you something. Who controls the wind? Jesus. Who controls the waves? Who controls the elements? Jesus. Take it from someone who knows. Them winds can blow stronger. And those waves can get bigger. The ship can get rockier. But God's waiting on the call. Tells us in our reading tonight, the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, and the wind was contrary. You see, to have Christ in your life, you can go through every storm that'll come your way. The storms will come. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you don't have any difficulties. Anyone ever tells you that they're lying to you. Being a Christian doesn't mean you'll never have any problems or there'll never be any tears. But let me tell you something. Being a Christian means you've got Jesus. And in every storm that comes, you're going through. You see, Peter wanted to be with Christ. As the winds were blowing, as the sea was beating, as, as the water was coming in, and as they see the Lord walking on the water, Peter's desire was to get out of the ship. We want to get out of the ship. We want to get out of the boat. We want to go to where Jesus is. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Listen, only a few more minutes. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. As he walked in the water, he looked at the Lord. And as he took his eyes of the Lord, he began to sing. And he cried these words, Lord, save me. Save me. What a cry. As he took those few steps, fear filled his heart. And he began to sink. You see the sea? The sea is symbolic in Scripture of the world. It's symbolic of the world. And the world, the world, I just don't mean the physical world, I mean the world in a spiritual sense. The prince of the power of the earth is the devil, is Satan. He goes around like a roaring land seeking whom he may devour. He's a real devil and he operates in that worldly system to draw. You know, we were, just a couple of days ago when we were out in the boat down at the lakes and we came to a place in the lake where the river would come in and suddenly we could recognize that there was a strong undercurrent. You could feel it in the boat. I want to talk about undercurrents for a moment. Do you know in this room tonight, this is a spiritual thing, that there's a lot of undercurrents. An undercurrent is 
a current below the surface. You don't really see it. But it has a profound influence on the boat and the people in the boat. You know, there's a lot of undercurrent that is simply influence. The Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. What does that mean? A little influence in your life, a little influence in your life can influence you in the right way or the wrong way. Isn't that true? Everyone should know that. Are you thankful for the influences, the good influences that have been in your life? But I can tell you, friends, in all honesty, there's a lot of influences in my life at a younger age took me a wrong way. My mother's here tonight, and if she had a pound for every time she'd said, watch your company and watch where you go, I wish I'd have listened. If she had a pound for every time she said that, she'd be a millionaire tonight. Influences. Influences. Really important. Especially young people, influences are so strong today. There's so many influences, isn't there? I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I wouldn't like to be 18 again, living in the world that we're living in because of the amount of influences there are, because of the amount of things that are getting your attention They influence you in a certain way. But influences are very powerful because they're going to direct your life in a certain way. I'm thankful and many, I'm going to do a hands up here. Many people in this room went to Sunday school. Put your hands down. I think everyone put their hand up. Put your hand up if you didn't go to Sunday school. Just all honesty. Richard's the only one. Not all, isn't that awesome? Now think about it. Are you glad for your Sunday school teacher? Do you know what that was? That was an influence in your life. At that time, you may not have known it. I can remember Mr. Black. I can remember sitting, raking about, getting slapped in the leg, all the rest of it. But he still had a good influence on me. I don't know where he is today, what type of influence I had on him. I can remember Trevor and Rosemary on the Tuesday night, Milltown Baptist Children's Club, and you brought your 10p, and they collected it every week, and at the end of the year, they brought you to Newcastle, and they give you all your 10p's back. It was like heaven. It was a good influence. No, you can't get to heaven without S-A-L-V-A-T. I-O-N. Thank God for influences. Thank God you were born into a Christian home, if you were. Thank God you Christian parents, if you had. Thank God you people that opened the word to you. Thank God for influence of Christian grandparents. Thank God for a neighbor that was saved. Thank God for a work colleague that was saved. Thank God for a scripture union. Thank God for the boys' brigade. Thank God for BB leaders that loved the Lord and, and stood with you and shared the scriptures. And you raked around all night, but still something went into your life. And it was an influence. Isn't that right? Remember Billy Bryson, Dennis McGowan, Davy Cochran. Boy, we broke their hearts, but I can tell you something. Every Friday night, they'd open the Bible, and what was center of that boys' brigade was God's Word. Sunday morning Bible class, they'd gather around the Scriptures, and they'd read the Bible to you. They'd bring you under the sound of the Gospel. What was happening? There was an influence in your life. 
People were influencing your life to bring you what? God was in control. God was providentially over your life. He had praying parents, praying grandparents, Sunday school teachers, BB leaders, people working in churches, people in schools, Christian teachers, Christian neighbors, and you meet them all through your life. What is that? Just by mistake? No, that's God Almighty. Influencing your life. Influencing you to come to a place where the place called Calvary. But then I can look back in my life and I can see an awful lot of influences that weren't the good ones. And for some reason, some reason, I was attracted to those influences. What was that? That was deception. Remember a couple of weeks ago? That was deception. And so the little influence was that in some way, all of this what was happening over on this side was something that wasn't so attractive to what was happening here. The deception of the enemy. And so these influences began to get a hold. But it only took a wee bit. It didn't take much. It didn't take much. It doesn't take a whole lot. When it takes a wee bit, the enemy's so subtle. And so he begins to influence your life another way. The enemy's working. The wrong company, the wrong person. You go to the wrong place. You meet the wrong people. You can get involved with the wrong type of boys. And all of a sudden you find yourself in your life now starting to be influenced in a way going down a path that's destruction, that's death, that's ruin, that's wreck. I'm telling you, friends, this is real. This is real. Influences. Oh, tonight, you know, I can remember sitting in many a meeting, 16, 17. It's not going to affect me. I'm going to be able to handle this. I'm different to everybody else. I'm going to tell you something. You're not different to anybody. You're just like all of us. And so the influence came. That influence wasn't good. That influence, you know, at the beginning, you know, the devil will promise you everything, but he's a liar. No, he is a liar. I have no problem saying that tonight. The devil's a liar. So he begins to influence your life in other ways. Oh, but at the start, it's good fun. It sends pleasure. It's great with the boys. Well, that BB stuff, all that dirt stuff, all that Sunday school stuff, all that church stuff. I'm against all that now. I'm out here. I'm enjoying myself. No, you're not. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit. But these influences get stronger and stronger. The undercurrents, like Peter, you begin to sink. Your eyes are now off the Lord, and now you're sinking. Now you're sinking. But you see what happens is there's a pride in your life. I had it. Strong as anything, boy, no one's going to tell me. Don't you dare mention God to me. Don't you dare mention me getting right with God. I know what I'm doing. And my life was a mess. And so we're going down. We're going down. We're going down. We're sinking. And the undercurrent's stronger. And now suddenly you're under. But thank God for good influences. God begins to work. God begins to create circumstances. God begins to speak. God begins to do things. It's not funny, by the way. It's actually real. God begins to do things because God's in control. Who controls the waves? Who controls the waves? You can say it tonight. Who controls the winds? God has an amazing way of getting that wind to go stronger. And it's normally with the prayers of people who love you. God has an amazing way to get the waves to go higher. Why? Because people are praying. I can remember one night, you'll not believe this, but it's true. 
I can remember one night I was sitting uh, in the Barclay. It's all gone now. Before I went out that night, I can remember this one thing. It's the last thing I probably remember, but I can remember my mum, and there was never anything said because it was like, you say anything, it was like a red rag to a bull, right? And I can remember one night, she says, are oh, there some people over at a wee meeting? I'd really love you to meet them. Would you call in and say hello? That's all she said, and she left. Well, I just headed out, and I was out, and I was enjoying myself. Not really, but I had to pretend it was, because it doesn't, it's not enjoyable after a time. It's wick. But you have to go with the show. And so we're sitting in the Barclay, and it was much well intoxicated, that's all I'm going to say, to my shame. But something in that meet, in that, in that Barclay that night, I decided I am getting up and going out. And so I made my way somehow up from the Barclay, and my mum and dad held wee meetings in the wee orange hall at Milltown. You ever drive past it where the bonfire is? There's a wee orange hall there. That's where they have meetings. Somehow or another, just with that one little bit of influence, this man, worse for wear, staggered in the Milltown hall in the wee meeting to say hello to a black Jamaican Pentecostal from London. How does that work? Do I even know? Can I even work it out? Even today, I still can't work it out. And he asked me where to go to London because I had a couple of weeks off. And I said, I'll go. Because I just used to say yes to everything. Did I understand it or could I see it? Or could I grasp it? That that influence would be the means that God would bring me to London and save me within three days. And I had no intention of getting saved. Influences. You have no idea. That one word, what you might say, you have no idea that it could break in someone's life in three minutes. You have no idea that you could stop someone on the street and say something and they could walk around the corner and suddenly the conviction power of the Holy Ghost could come upon a life and they spy the knee and cry out to God to be saved. You have no idea what it was to see Stephen Riddle here on Wednesday night and hear the testimony of a man who, who wrecked his life but standing on the street with a cigarette in his mouth and suddenly, suddenly, this thought, if I die now, I'm going to hell. And how God wonderfully saved him. And he's doing a mission in Desert Martin. Would you have thought that? It's amazing what God can do. Influences are potent. Influences are powerful. Influences for good towards God and influences for evil. The trail is into hell. Who's influencing your life? What's the influence in your life? Who's influencing you the most? What's the greatest influence in your life? Peter, you know, I believe this tonight, and the reason why I believe is because it's my experience. But I hope that some of you might be able to identify with it. Some of you won't get out of the boat. Do you know why? I'm going to tell you why. Some of you won't get out of the boat to come to Christ or call out to be saved. Do you want to know why? The fear of failing. Some of you won't get out of the boat because why? The fear 
of not being able to keep it. Here's another one. Some of you won't get out of the boat, whether you're listening tonight or not, I'm going to say it. The fear of losing out, missing out on something. What a lie that is. And here's a really powerful undercurrent in this meeting tonight. This is a powerful one. Really powerful one. Some of you won't get out. Now listen to me. Because you're afraid of what others are going to say. You're afraid of what others are going to say. The reason why I know that is because every other Christian in this room probably experienced one or all of them at some point before their conversion. Would you say amen if that's true? Let me tell you where fear comes from. Fear's from the pit. It's from the devil. But to live under that influence of fear, listen, here's the serious thing. We'll take you Take your soul to a lost eternity. Peter stepped out. Thank God for Peter. Walked in the water. Thank God for the courage. Began to sink. Thank God for the cry. Lord, what a simple cry. Lord, save me. What did the Lord do? The Lord stretched forth his hand. Saved him, caught him, brought him into the ship. The wind ceased and they worshipped him. Peter was saved because Jesus was in his boat. Let me just ask you tonight as we close. What influence are you under? What influence are you under? You under the influence of God's word? And the Holy Spirit in your life take you all the way to glory with, with Jesus tonight. Beyond the influence of the world, the devil, friends, fear of failing, fear of losing out, fear of what others will say. Oh, friend, tonight, let me tell you something. Winds are blowing, waves are beating, storm has come. Jesus is just waiting on these words. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Let me tell you something. I have failed him more than the amount of times that I would want to tell you. I can tell you this of a surety tonight, and you hear it often from many. He's never failed me once. Could I tell you even better? And he never will. What a friend you'll have in Jesus. Young person, this is a world. The storms have already come. The end is nigh. That's not anything but the truth tonight. We are living in the very last moments of time. It's time to stand up for Jesus. Soldiers, God's looking soldiers. Soldiers of the cross. Who's going to influence you? Who's going to influence you? Turn to Jesus. Get saved. Get right with God. Let's pray together tonight.